chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we will keep plodding on through as by God's grace certainly is a great amount of information in here, and we'll pick up just a short review in verse 7, but refuse profane and old wives' fables. And exercise thyself, we're 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, but refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come." This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Now, as Paul is given instruction to Timothy, he wants him to understand that in order to be the pastor, the teacher, the, the helper of Paul there at the church, there are just some things that do not need to be countenanced. Uh, they do not need to be spoken about. Um, that's why I, I don't believe that I will ever bring Rick Warren's book into our service and refute Rick Warren's book verse by verse or page by page. Uh, I don't believe that needs to be done. Uh, his book, uh, I can't even remember what it's called now. Uh, Purpose Driven Church and Purpose Driven Life. Jesus is the purpose. You don't need to know anything else. Jesus is the author. He's the finisher of our faith, as the writer of Hebrews put it. And I'm just not going to waste the time, because if you read that book, as many preacher friends have, they say, oh, but but Pastor, but Pete, 90% of this book is just, you would agree with it. And I said, yeah, but what about the other ten? said, well, you need to learn how to eat the meat and spit out the bones. But we're not talking about the difference between meat and bones here. We're talking the difference between what is pure doctrine and what is corrupt doctrine. How many of you buy a piece of half-rotten meat? At the meat market. Well, we're just going to throw away the rotten part. We're going to keep the good part. Uh, I, I just thank the Lord, and I'm not trying to be ridiculous. hope you understand. I just thank the Lord I've not been that hungry yet. And I don't ever want to be that hungry spiritually because there's no need. There is no need when you have the truth. Now, It says, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Now, this is something. uh, Do we have anybody here that just loves exercise? Okay, we got to. Oh, yeah, Esther, she sure does. Uh, 
She loves to exercise these muscles right here. That girl could talk the bark off a tree. Couldn't you? Yes. Okay. But exercise involves pain, doesn't it? It involves sweat. It, it in, if you're going to exercise, you have got to put forth effort. Now, this idea of exercising yourself unto godliness means you've got to practice and work at producing godliness with your life. She must still be laughing at Daddy's joke. Okay. I was hoping she wasn't crying. That would look really bad. But anyway, are we okay now? Yes. Exercise is something that you do because you want to reach a goal. Peter brought home this book, and it talks about how to start out as a weak, normal human being and end up doing one-arm handstand push-ups. That just brings pain to think about it. He said, but dad, this is good for your joints. I said, yeah, but you got to have enough joint left to make it work. I said, that would kill me. And, uh, but you have to do it in steps. I said, I, I like this next phrase. Bodily exercise profiteth little. Amen. But we better learn how to spiritually exercise ourselves. That's why we have daily Bible reading schedule. Exercise. That takes work. It is a strain. But I can tell you, if you will do that, it will change the way you live. And it will produce more godliness in your life. The more Bible you know, the more familiar you are with God's Word, the more godly you will be. You really want to exercise unto godliness? Get a handful of tracks. Hey, but I'm scared. What, do you, what are you supposed to do when you're scared? Pray. What does prayer do? It makes you more godly. If you're really going to witness to somebody, you have to become more godly. So take a handful of tracks and put yourself in the situation to witness it. Well, what happens if I get into trouble? You have my cell phone number? Call me up. Amen. Say, I can't answer all the questions, but my pastor can. Oh, don't call him. Oh, no, here he is. Uh, let me put him on the phone with you. Uh, you'll, oh, I'd be, I'd be pleased to do that. Listen. Exercise yourself rather unto godliness because what you do with your body, and I'm not talking about being unhealthy. I, I don't believe that any Christian has the right to destroy their body. We call it drink, eat, uh, digging your grave with your fork. 
you have no right to do that. God's given you one body. He wants you to live for him with it. You cannot exercise under godliness near as well from a hospital bed as you can from a good pair of shoes. Amen. But godliness, what does it say here? Godliness is profitable unto all things. Godliness is simply this. It is living like God. I got an interesting little Christmas present this year. Got a coffee mug. And on it, it said, let me see here, WWHJMD. It's what would Jesus have me do? You see, you can't do what Jesus did. That WWJD, what would Jesus do? That, that doesn't work. The question is, what would Jesus have me do? Because that is how we're supposed to live our lives. Amen? And uh, it says here that godliness is profitable unto all things. The closer you are to the Lord, the more your problems are going to be solved. How many of you struggle with God's will and His direction in your life? What am I supposed... Well, here. Here's a question. Move to, I mean, a statement, move toward godliness. Well, you got to make a decision. Am I going to A or B? Well, question is, which one is going to move you closer to godliness? That one will be God's will, promise you. It's just that simple. Godliness is profitable For all things, because godliness has a promise of the life that now is. You look at what's in the Bible. Living your life the Bible way is better than living your life the world's way. Amen? Amen. You, you want a, you want a Bible marriage? Or a Donald Trump marriage? Yeah, every what? I don't want that. I want what the Bible has. You want biblical teens or do you want worldly teens? You say, how do I get biblical teens? Turn off the recorder. No. Uh, you instill the Bible in your children when they're children and they'll be Bible teens when they become teenagers. That's how it works. You start when they're little. Someone said, Pastor, when do you start disciplining a child? When you bring them home from the hospital. Unless they're born at home, then you can start right away. You, 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 you use corporal punishment? No, crazy. You, you help form the baby's life. Babies don't know what day and night is. You see, mama stops moving during the night, baby wakes up. While mama's walking around during the day, baby is asleep because he's being rocked or she's being rocked to sleep 
all day long. So when normally when baby's born, baby does not understand what is night and day. They got it all mixed up. You've got to help them straighten it out. It's okay for a baby to cry a little bit. That's the only exercise they get. Amen? And you teach them and train them. And you make Johnny eat his peas, even though he doesn't like peas. And you make them eat their carrots and, and their spinach and broccoli and asparagus. And all of and see, then when they get older, they won't wrinkle their face like somebody just did. But I'm not going to call them out, Brother Franz. And... Uh, <laughs> But when they're little is when you work on those things. Because godliness is profitable unto all things. And here's because it has the promise of this life. The closer I am to God, the more obedient I am to the Lord, the better my life is going to be. The only regrets I have in my life is where I disobeyed God's word. I can see now, and I've had just a little bit, as, as I've used this example many times, Peter's called me back from school, and even this last time we were just together, he made sure he said, and thank me for being such a mean father. You see, it's because now he can start seeing that the rewards of that discipline of putting up the wall. And let me tell you, your children will push at the barriers of life. If you move, they'll move. If you don't move, well, there might be a few bruises as they hit the wall, but they'll get over it and they'll be better for it. They need to know that something is real. I mean, look around you in our city. Is anything real today in all the laws and the rules? I mean, this is a no parking zone out here. But if you file the proper paperwork and get a permit from the Department of Transportation, you can park in the no parking zone and not get in trouble and even laugh when the meter maid comes up. Oh, you can't write a ticket on that one. Why? Because you've got a permit that allows you to... Listen, you hire a high-priced lawyer, and I've heard the young people talk. I've been out on Rikers for a few visits to uh, some of the inmates there. You know, I've never met anyone on Rikers that said, yeah, I did it. That was really bad. I don't, can't believe how stupid I am. It was all, my friends did it, and they're blaming it on me. No. Listen. The Bible gives us the direction we need. You live your life the Bible way. And you've got a promise of God's blessing. Talking about relationships. Peter's kind of jealous. It took Sarah part of one semester to find an admirer, and Peter's been working on it for three years. And... uh, and gave some count. I said, listen, are you ready to get married? No. Well, then keep the barriers up that God has. 
If you date the Bible way, you know what the worst thing that happens is? You get a new friend. Is that so bad? But if you don't date the Bible way, you can spend the rest of your life regretting it. These are just a few examples of the promise of the life that now is. But as one clever person termed it, they put it into a bumper sticker, be a Christian, the retirement benefits are out of this world. You get that? You get to go to heaven when you die. Listen, it's the promise of the life that now is and the promise of that which is to come. And by the way, that which is to come is going to last a whole lot longer than that which now is. And this says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Now, this is the Apostle Paul speaking under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, this is a faithful saying. And I want you to know that this is worthy of your complete understanding. Investigate. I mean... When, when, we talk, when I talk about things and try to explain them here, one of the, one would, uh, ev- uh, back up, start over again. When we talk about things here in, our, in the preaching time and talk about these promises of the life that now is, I gave you two brief examples. You ought to go home. And exercise yourself unto godliness and find some other areas of your life where obeying God's word has a promise in this life right now. Where by being obedient to God and his word, you can enjoy blessings. And then you ought to think about the blessings that are in heaven. The things that God has for store for you in all eternity. How many crowns are you going to have to cast at Jesus' feet if you do not serve Him with your life here on earth? Think about these things because it is a faithful saying. It is worthy of all acceptation. That means it is worthy of you taking these promises and these truths that are in this book and applying them to your life and see how that they will fit into your life and how you ought to live. And then we move on to the next verse. It says, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach. He said, Because these things are true, we labor in them and we suffer reproach. How many of you have been told that you're crazy for being obedient to the Word of God at one time or another in your life. If you've been obedient to God at all, somebody has come along and told you you're crazy. Oh, by the way, one little funny story. I met a fellow there. He's starting a church in Delphos, Ohio. We were able to give him a little gift, and he showed me a family picture. Are you ready? Sixteen children. And I said, brother, I said, I am so glad to meet you. And he looked at me kind of funny. And then I told him how many we had. And he smiled real big. And he said, I said, you're the only guy I can look at and say, you're crazy, brother. (laughs) And he took it in the right way. And and, uh, 
Not too many people I can tell that to. But here's what it is. We labor. When you're obedient, the world is going to reproach you. Brother Franz has been given a privileged position of chaperone. And he hates it. Why? Because the things that are in the Bible are against the things that happen on many of these trips. And he suffers while other people are jealous. But he can't get rid of it. Pray for him. Listen, here's what it says. We labor, we suffer reproach. Now, why do we labor and suffer reproach? Well, it's because we are exercising ourselves unto godliness. We are enjoying the promises that now is and the promises of the life to come. But it says here, because we trust in the living God. Here's a definition of what trusting in God means. See, most of the time we'll say, I'm trusting in the Lord, and then we go do our own thing. One famous fellow said, well, let's pray, and maybe we'll luck out. Now, that's not what he meant, but that's what came out, and no one's ever let him forget it ever since. But the simple truth here that we're looking at If you are exercising yourself unto godliness, if you're taking advantages of the promises that godliness brings in this life and in the life to come, the Bible says you're trusting in God. Those two things are equal. If what is happening in your life is not exercising you unto godliness, you're not trusting in God no matter how spiritual you pretend to be. And these are things that Paul was warning Timothy about. Because there is a lot of activity that can be involved in the ministry. There's a lot of work that you can get involved in. And you have to guard yourself so that you are partaking of the work that is necessary for the ministry. Work that has a purpose. You say, why are we spending so much time in our auditorium working in here? Well, it's not because I like construction so much that I just can't do without it. It is because we need to open these side areas so that more people can get in. It's got to be done, but it's got to be done right. And there's no use just cutting down the walls and making place for people to trip if we don't and then having to tear up the auditorium completely again in a couple of years to do the work that we've already done. So we're just going to plot our way through and get it done, and by God's grace, we'll have it done. Oh, I don't know, I'd like to have it done before that July wedding. That would be really nice. We'll see what happens. But here it says, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Now, boy, the Calvinists, they love this verse. They're trying to... You see, he's a special Savior of those that believe. Does that make any sense to you? 
You see, where are you going to get saved? If you're going to get saved, where are you going to get saved? You're going to get saved in church? Church going to save you? Jesus is going to save you, right? If any person in the world wants to get saved, where do they have to go? You see, all Paul is doing is telling us the position of God. He is the Savior of all men. If any human being that ever lives is going to get saved, they're going to go to God to get saved. By the way, they'll go directly to God to get saved. They won't go anywhere else. They won't go through any man. They won't go through any process. But God will not be your Savior personally unless you believe. That's all Paul's saying here. He is the Savior of all men. Any man who's ever born can be saved if they'll go to God. When you go to God, when you believe in Him, then He's my Savior. And that's all Paul is trying to say here. And the reason why we spend a little time on these things is because every once in a while you'll meet someone who really thinks they know their Bible and they'll flip open it. Hey, he's the special Savior of those who believe. Uh, so, tell me something I don't know. But that doesn't say that he elected some people to salvation and other people to damnation. It says he is the Savior of all men. But unless you believe, you can't enjoy that personal relationship. He is not your Savior. Amen? The next verse says, These things command and teach. And that's what the church is about. It's about teaching doctrine. What the Bible says. But it's not a place... Where you just get knowledge. I've often heard this used. Well, he's a lot better teacher than he is a preacher. Um, He's a great preacher, but he doesn't teach much. Now, I, I pray that every time I stand behind this pulpit, I bring something to teach you. And I try to preach as much as I possibly can. And preaching is teaching with emphasis. I don't believe you can do one without the other. Because we're not going to dry up the message of this book called the Bible into an academic formula and just sit here and say, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Uh, Jesus plus faith equals salvation. And there are people that do this. And what do they do? They minimize the message. What we want to do is we want to teach. And what's it say? These things command and teach. That word command means to tell you, you must do this. And you know what our society tells us today? Well, you can't, ex- you can't expect things of people. 
when you bring people to church, you, you just all need to get together and, and, and see what happens. And uh, Don't tell people that drinking and smoking and watching dirty movies is sin. Don't tell people. that They'll figure that out on their own. No, these things command and teach. Amen? Those things are wicked sins and God will judge you. You will destroy the promises of God in your life if you allow those things in your life. You're to exercise yourself unto godliness. And what we want to do is obey the word. Of God. These things command and teach. And so we want to refuse profane and old wives' fables. We want to exercise ourselves on the godliness. These are this is a faithful saying. Have you accepted it in your life? That's what that word, acceptation, means. God wants you to put his truth to practice in your daily life. He was telling Timothy, if you don't do this, you're going to get in trouble. If you will do this, if we skip down to the end here, and we're not going to get through the end of this chapter tonight. We're closing down right here. It says, Take heed unto thyself unto the, and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now, he doesn't mean, Timothy, if you obey God's word, you'll get salvation. If you don't obey God's word, you'll lose your salvation. What's he going to save himself from? going to save himself from the destruction and God's judgment in his life. He's going to save himself to enjoying those promises in this life and in the life to come. That's the application of these verses. And guess what? Those that hear and obey the word of God, guess what they're going to get? They're going to have the joy of God's promises fulfilled in their life now. Let me tell you, when you get to heaven and stand before God, You're going to be so glad that you obeyed his word. You're going to be so terribly embarrassed when you didn't. God's going to put the whole thing out there. He's going to judge our works. And it said some of those works are going to be completely burned up. How'd you like to see the angel picking through the ashes of your life? Hey, I, okay, God, I found one nugget. That's going to happen. Some of it's going to be nothing here. You don't lose your salvation, but you can lose everything else. We need to exercise ourselves on the godliness. That's what he's telling Timothy in this short passage that we've covered tonight. It's not only important for the preacher. It's important for those to whom the preacher preaches. 
It's important in the church to exercise yourself unto godliness. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. Lord, we ask that you would help us to apply these truths to our lives, to allow you to do your work. That we would learn to exercise ourselves unto godliness. That we would see what we do in our life translate to godliness in the life which we live. In Jesus' name we pray. And we'll just take a moment, if you'd like to come and pray, spend a moment at the altar.